Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We are so glad you are listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.thecultureministry.com for more information. A 20-year career in the public service, repeated bullying, and a nervous breakdown forced wheelchair user Ainsley Hooper to reevaluate her life and do something with much more independence and purpose. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. Ainsley Hooper, welcome to A Dog Called Diversity. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. It's great to have you here. And you are joining us from Victoria, aren't you, in Australia? Yeah, in Geelong, Victoria. In Geelong. You're so well accomplished and you've also established a business which we will get to. But I wanted to start with that you're a wheelchair user Mm-hmm. And so I wondered if you'd start by telling us a bit about what it was like growing up and, you know, going to school and your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So growing up, um, yeah, being a, like a wheelchair user from birth growing up, I didn't know any different. Um, so basically I just, um, I did I did all the things that I could do. Men didn't obviously do the things I couldn't do. Um, and yeah, didn't question any of it. Um, then, um, so going to school, basically, um, yeah, I'd say it, there was a, like, obviously there was, there was bullying going on at the, in, in, in school. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, for me, um, being a disabled person going through school, um, I found, which I've only just started to recognise in the last three few years through doing the work I do, um, the ableism that actually existed back then, um, which I never realised until now, obviously until now. Uh, for example, um, I, I I really wasn't asked what I wanted to do. Or, I mean, you know, there were, there were those things, oh, what would you like to do? However, I was actually discouraged from doing those things because everybody else had the idea of what a person in a wheelchair is capable of doing in the in the best roles for a wheelchair user for example, for example uh, I had teachers and uh, integration aides etc who all thought that uh, for someone like me a receptionist job or, or working as a secretary or you know in an office would be the ideal ideal job and and back in those days I mean I wanted to do photography and all of those kind of things and that, that's when I remember getting to like year 12 and year, year 11 year 12 when we had you uh, you know we'd pick out pick out units um for the following year and yeah I remember wanting to do the photography class and being told uh, by the the coordinators that no if I chose photography rather than one of those you know um, subjects such as infotech that would get, help me get into that into that kind of role uh, that they wouldn't offer me any assistance to do the photography side of things so 
I was just yeah basically pushed into doing those doing those subjects which I didn't do very well in at all um and then that led me to uh, getting a very very low score in year 12 second the second lowest in, in year 12 and so I ended up going to TAFE did a couple of courses at TAFE and uh from there I ended up going, um, joining a disability employment service provider, getting the same uh, same attitudes from him. Basically, I'd said to him, okay, I've just done it. I said to him, I've, I've just completed a, a course in multimedia, so I'm uh, skilled in web design. That's what I want to do. And the guy goes, you need to take a good hard look at yourself and realise what you can do. And organized a job for me in the public service so I stayed there for 20 years that's a terrible story and like the the things that you you know there's no reason why you couldn't have done photography or web design of course can you just explain to people what ableism is so yeah ableism is that basically just disability discrimination it's it's um basically uh thinking of um, people with disabilities as less than other, other people um, without disabilities um, and um, like for example it's it's there's a lot of um, what I call microaggressions um, which are things saying things that um, that are ingrained in our head where we don't mean to say them but uh, that are that frame disability as being as being less than human so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we, you you didn't tell me that story when in our pre chat, and I'm gosh, I'm appalled. <laughs> I'm so sorry that <laughs> happened to you. Um, tell me a bit about working in the public service. You worked there for twenty years, but you're not there now. So tell yeah, us a bit about yes. that. So yeah, I was in the in the public um, service for twenty years. So I worked worked in the call centre, uh, and then um, during that time, experienced some bullying. Yes, it was a toxic workplace, so um, experienced bullying. But, you know, growing up, didn't think that I had any other kind of uh, avenues to to go down. So that's why I ended up staying there until I eventually had a nervous breakdown and my psychologist said to me that either you you stay or you you need – no, she said to me, "You, you need to get out of there, otherwise you're going to die. So... Yes, yeah, so then I resigned from that that, that job. Uh, during that time, I'd also like I'd actually picked up a um, bachelor of arts and started doing that. So um, whilst I was at, at, at um, yeah in the public service, and that really sort of became my uh, saving grace. It was it was what kept me going during that degree. And so yeah, I then graduated as an anthropologist, and so. I mean, I finished that that course back in. I'd, I'd graduated back in 2015. hadn't re, uh, resigned from the public service until 2019. Um, but then, yeah, once I resigned, I decided that I couldn't work for anybody else, um, and I really needed to. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to help people understand people, which is what anthropology does. And so, therefore, that's how my business was born. So, tell me what you do in your business. 
So, yep. So basically, Ainsley Hooper Consulting, what I do in, in that business is I help businesses and organisations that are public facing. So the ones that have customers coming in their doors or who serve clients, uh, I help them improve their disability inclusion strategies. So not just um, my focus is not more so not the, the workplace, but the experience of the consumers. So focusing on them first. I've just been doing some work with a, another client, a different client on a very similar thing and, and talking about the customer experience and how when you mm-hmm. have diverse people who are serving your clients, who are mm-hmm. either in your call centre like you were working or uh, working directly with clients, you know, you have a much better chance of getting repeat business, of having customer stickiness um, mm-hmm. b- because you're representing your clients. And uh, I think yeah. that's such important work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I think that, it, it, like, it's true. Like, I know I feel so much more comfortable dealing with someone who has, this, has the, the knowledge of what my lived experience is like is like or um not necessarily just being another like another disabled person but yeah having that having a person know what you're going what what your barriers are etc that's really important to me yeah yeah I think that that makes a massive difference to people when you can empathize and you understand what it's like so absolutely yeah now tell me about um my, most people who who come on my podcast will will share what their disabilities are or their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I know in the past you've been interviewed about your disabilities and you you don't share exactly your mm-hmm. diagnosis. Could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that and why that's important? Yeah, sure. So I don't. So the only time I will mention my my diagnosis is if I'm doing um, an article or an interview about the actual diagnosis itself and awareness about the diagnosis. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's, it's, not, it's not relevant uh, to the context of what I'm speaking about. Um, it's the fact that I have a disability or disabled and the issues that need to be dealt with, um, the social issues that need to be dealt with, they're the things that need to be focused on rather than the actual med- the medical side of me. Yeah. And I've certainly learnt working in diversity and inclusion that that you don't have to know everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, as humans, we try to put people in boxes to understand, mm. but sometimes we don't need to know and sometimes we just need to get to know the person mm. and what their challenges are we we don't need to know how they've ended up where they are so that's exactly yeah. it like I know like I've only I've only started to um decline telling people my diagnosis in the past uh five years um before that I would just do it because I was like that's what I'd been taught to do not not question you know, just yeah. be polite, not question people's, you know, yeah. not say, oh, look, I'm sorry, but that makes me uncomfortable because you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Um, but then that, now I've learned that, you know, it, it's okay to to do so if you're helping that person learn something uh, and making make that, and yeah, give them a, a, a switch, like a, a, a shift in, in the way they, they, think, they think. I think that's yeah. the most important thing, yeah. 
Yeah, cool. Um, now you do have a more recent diagnosis that you are happy to share. Mm-hmm. Um, t- yeah. Tell us, tell us what happened in the last month. Yeah, so uh, about four weeks ago, I was finally at forty-four years of age, diagnosed <laughs> as autistic. Um, so yeah, one of the the um, many autistic women that have been diagnosed ever since the pandemic, basically. Yeah, yeah. so. And that's been very interesting because it's also um, given made me look at certain things that you know that happened throughout my childhood or and ongoing that was always blamed on my physical disability, and mm-hmm. it turns out that was not the case at all. So, <laughs> and but obviously back then they didn't have those kind of they they didn't diagnose um, autism back then, so. No, it's understandable, but yeah, it's interesting to see just the differences. Um, yeah, to, to look at things through a different lens. Yeah, what made you go and, I guess, investigate or or get diagnosed with autism? So doing my like doing the work that I do, I've um, become yeah, I've started following a lot of um, autistic um, people who are autistic um, yeah. and talking about their experiences. And I remember like looking at some of the things and going, um, I do that too. And, <laughs> you know, and thinking, and I remember thinking, that's not just autistic, I do that too. Because obviously back then I, I didn't think, know that I was autistic. Uh, and then I, throughout the pandemic, when I did see people being diagnosed later in life, especially women, I was like, oh, mm. okay. So I um, did a few online tests. Um, over the over the space of a couple of years, a different period of time, and they all pointed to the same range that yes, I'm probably autistic and uh, to speak to someone. And then this year, I uh, took up string sports. Oh, sorry, not strongman. I had already been competing in powerlifting, but I took up strongman this year. And my coach basically wanted me to get my nutrition sorted because I'm, I've never been a good eater. I've been a very picky eater, which is the autistic thing and <laughs> yeah and so when I went and saw the nutritionist uh, I, I showed her all the foods that I eat and all the foods I do not eat so it was like 20% foods I do eat 80% I do not eat so it was like oh and she like and she's the first nutritionist that I've actually been able to stick to a meal, a meal plan and I've been I've been with her now for nine months so that's been like huge um yeah basically at the start when I started with her uh there was a lot of anxiety about like trying different things and one of my biggest things is if for example I'll have the same thing for breakfast uh, I've had birch muesli for breakfast for like the last 10 years and if there's one ingredient in that birch muesli that's missing I cannot eat the damn thing <laughs> and we'll go without until lunchtime. Okay. Which is not healthy. So, um, yeah, from there, spoke to my GP and said, look, I think I had Googled it and saw eating disorders and, you know, um, autism. I was like, I think possibly yeah, it's time that I get checked out for, AS, uh, for, um, for being autistic. Uh, so, yeah, he referred me to a psychologist. And I did a few thing tests with her, and she said, "Yeah, look, you sort of sit on the spectrum, but need to refer you to a psychiatrist." So 
So yeah, had the psychiatrist in within the hour. She goes, "Yep, you're you're autistic." So that was yeah. four weeks ago. Yeah. So I mean, it's still early, but what impact do you think that diagnosis will have for you? Um, it's made me stop trying to tra- change certain things. Um, yeah. So oh. like now, I'm very much like I, I've got a lot of social anxiety, which is related to the. Um, being autistic so like you know all that stuff's going to be treated but so the, I guess the biggest thing is like I I was diagnosed with anxiety 20 years ago um, and I've been on medication which has not been working and I just assumed this was what, what life is normally like and it's like well yeah. actually no uh, you can go without feeling anxious apparently so um, I'm, yeah waiting <laughs> how nice would that be like, I'm very, very skeptical that that's going to happen. Like, I've been living with anxiety for, for far too long to know what it's like without it. So I'm skeptical. But yeah, so I'm now um, going to go back to the GP um, to look at the medications that the psychiatrist has recommended and see how that helps. Great. That, that'll that be a massive help, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, yeah some, some, someone said to me, like, yeah, once they're from the right medications, like, things that change massively for them, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool story. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, now, I want to talk about your powerlifting, weightlifting, um, because I also do powerlifting, weightlifting, and I yeah. love it. It's one of my, yeah. my favourite things. I go three times yeah. a week, and I just love feeling strong, and I think yeah. – women of a particular age need to start weightlifting. But tell me yeah. about how you got into it. So it was after my nervous breakdown. So um, the nervous breakdown happened and um, my partner, who was already doing powerlifting, his coach said, oh, why does not easily have a go at the gym? I was like, yeah, no way in hell. Um, <laughs> there's not much in the gym. Um, but, yeah, I, did, I, ca- I came in and I... You know, I gave it a go um, and it, like I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't like the gym experience. Um, I yeah. remember saying to him, okay, I, I've worked out. I'm going to go sit in the car until you're finished. He's like, no, nah, you're not. You're going to stay in the gym. Stay in the gym. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was a very intimidating place. But um, mm. It's intimidating for most people. Yeah, like, but then (laughs) they are the loveliest bunch of people. So, yeah, basically after about three months, yeah, I finally, um, I remember I started competing in in bench press um, because Mm -hmm. because being a wheelchair user. And, yeah, like for now I just realised just how how amazing the the people are. Like every single person that that goes to the gym pretty much has mental health issues. And they're there for that particular reason, like, you know, because it really just helps mental health. And knowing that it's just really helping in such a a, a community like that. But then um, obviously with the pandemic, that shut down gyms. So the powerlifting wasn't wasn't happening. And then last year, I remember there was the Strong Women documentary on ABC iView. And it's currently on there now. Anyway, so my... I knew what one of the women from, from that documentary, because she went to the same gym that I went to, and uh-huh. she now has her own gym. And she was t- they were talking, every one of the, the women on there were talking about how 
that a strong man or strong woman has um, helped them mentally. And because I had been missing my bench press for so, so much, my brain was just going crazy. Um, I was like, I really need to get into that, like <laughs> give it a go. I tried it at the gym, like messing around with stuff, and it was fun, but I've never done it seriously because I was focused on the powerlifting. Um, but yeah, so then I was like, okay, I really need to give this a go. And then my coach, she got wind of the Sports for All program um, via Dylan Alcott. Uh, and so she had a competition for her gym uh, back in January and she contacted me in December and said, would you like to have a, if, if I made some events, would you like to have a go in the comp? I'm like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, so, yeah, so basically went along, like, so I trained for, for a couple of weeks before the um, the comp, went along to the comp, yeah, and I was the only disabled person in there, Um and yeah, had a hell of a lot of fun. And then from there, she's like, okay, so um, if you'd like to, you know, I, I'll take you on as a client. Like, right, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, so since then, I've been, I've done, I don't think I'm going to, yeah, I'll be entering my fourth comp in November. Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing Brilliant. sports. And what is the what happens in the competition? What what do you what do you do? So uh, there's all different events. Uh, it's going to be Vic, Vic's strongest man, woman twenty two, uh, happening on the twelfth of November at uh, WD's gym in in um, Melbourne. And it's so it's going to be there's going to be a log press. Um, so it's going to be like max log press, lifting as much weight as you can above your head with the log, um, uh-huh. which is actually like my favourite event. Um, What's your PB for that? Uh, Twenty point five. Wow! So I've, I've just I've just hit a gym like the comp PB is twenty point five, and I hit a gym PB this week at twenty one point five. So brilliant! Yeah, congratulations. So and it, thank you. And at the start of the year, I, I couldn't even lift a damn thing. So, yeah, like, that's amazing to, like, and even, like, with stone, um, there'll be, like, a load, there'll be a, a loading stone to a platform event as well, which is a, the Atlas stone, so the concrete stone. Um, okay. At the start of the year, it was, like, eight kilos was my max, and now I'm up to 20 kilos, so... And what That's, do you do with that? Do you throw it, lift it over your head? Uh, oh, God, you throw it. You'd break it like you'd break something. <laughs> I know people who have dropped it on their fingers and dropped their toes uh, and have broken their bones. So, you know, um, the two, the things you do with it is um, you can do stone to shoulder. So for okay. me, I put the stone in my lap, which will be just like on a on something so not to break my bones. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I just lift it up to my shoulder. And so the idea is to try and lift it up to your shoulder um as smoothly as possible like in one one kind of swift movement okay and then once you've got it up in your set your shoulder you move your your uh one of your arms you move the opposing arm away to show that the, the stone is stable um so there's that but the one i'll be doing in that pump will be a loading thing so it's going to be there'll be a platform that i need to load the stone onto for as many um as as fast as you can I, uh, during a period of time 
Um, and there'll be another one which is called Minecart Madness. So it's pull, it's basically pulling uh, with a rope minecart. Yep. So um, that's a, I have a love hate relationship with those, those events. Um, oh, I hate that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fully hate on a on a pulling yeah. like pulling a sleigh like, or a cart. <laughs> yeah, I do. I like it. Um, it's, it's a weird thing. I do like it, but there's been event, um, comps where it hasn't moved at all. So therefore, my brain just goes you know, triggers back to those those times. Um, and then yeah, there'll be another one called Lever Lever Press. So um, normally, for people who are standing, they'll do like um, a, de- a, a deadlift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, and obviously I can't do that. So there's a lever press, which is um, basically it's a it looks like a upturned table. So you've got like legs and they put weights on the legs and then you've just got to try and then uh, pull it like a lever and lift it off the ground. Okay. And, and then back down and then they keep going and going. So those are the, Brilliant. And I, I think there might be a mystery event as well. I'm not sure what, obviously, yeah, I don't know what that's going to be. Okay. Very exciting. Fun. So tell me. Yeah. What difference has it made lifting weights to your physical and your mental health? Yeah, so basically, like physical, like I'm all about um, my, my nutrition has improved heaps, and that's because I know um, eating well keeps my strength up. Um, and yeah, also my mental health has improved like completely, uh, well, not completely, but greatly. Um, you know, I, I'll go to the gym, I might be feeling really anxious, but then once I've actually started working out, it just it just pushes all that to the side and yeah, you're able just to exert all that nervous energy into yeah. the activity that you're doing. And has it made a difference to your ability, I guess, to manoeuvre yourself in your wheelchair, get around your home, you know, those no, kinds of no, things? So not really? That. No, I mean, it's just uh, I've noticed, like, that I'm getting stronger in the arms. But, yeah, like, for the for that kind of stuff, it hasn't really um, changed that. It's more so the, the inner strength and, the, like, the confidence it's given me, really, that's, that's yeah. changed a lot. So, so brilliant. So brilliant. And I think I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Ainsley's also been featured on Channel 10, a news story about the strong woman competitions and the work she does. And um, it's a really cool story. So we'll put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) Just to finish up, I I wanted to come back to your business and the work you do, uh, I guess, helping organisations work with with customers and clients. What's Mm -hmm. your, I guess, what would be your key message to organisations um, in in how to be more inclusive, um, particularly for people with disabilities? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the biggest things I find are um, and the biggest recommendation is to have um, disability, I don't like to call it awareness, but it is disability awareness training, those kind of things, and have it implemented in your business for, so that it's actually something that happens when staff come on board um, because I speak to so many organisations who who don't have that implemented. They'll have it as a, an option. So, so for, it'll be the people who are interested 
um, who will do it, but the people who aren't interested won't obviously won't do it. And then it's it's they're the people that really need it need it more um, need it the most. So I think that's a really important thing to have first up, uh, and that because then that way you're then more aware of the issues that your customers might face. Um, so there's that, and also um, making sure that you've got a feedback process where your customers can honestly and anonymously provide you feedback because asking for feedback and asking a, a customer to provide that feedback uh, in a way that doesn't protect their uh, and then, and and a minute, yeah, I can say that word. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> anonymity. Anonymity. We know what you mean. Identity, <laughs> that identity, yes. Yeah. So, in a way that doesn't protect that, that that leaves them feeling very vulnerable and not wanting to, you know, see, appear to be complaining. Which is, you know, uh, there will be some people who find me that, but a lot of people. Um, yeah, do feel very vulnerable in doing so. So making sure you've got those processes in place so that the issues can be identified and addressed rather than waiting until something bad happens and then finding out, okay, well, we need to fix this. Yeah, such good advice. And and certainly that part about when you're onboarding your employees, everyone mm-hmm. has to go through the training um, because you're right, I've I've worked in companies where you offer something and it's voluntary. And so the people Mm. who are passionate about inclusion and supporting people, they're the ones that come, but often, you know, they're halfway there, but they wanting to learn more. Yeah. And And I do, it's a a struggle as well, because I do know that people feel resentment when there is training forced upon them. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's just um, unfortunately, I mean, with disability, forty-two uh, percent of complaints um, to the Human Rights Commission in two thousand and nineteen were about disability discrimination. So, yeah, and that's in Australia. So, you know, it, it's something that's really important that we and the other and the other part about it is as well. I often see disability being separate to diversity and inclusion and that's not the way to go about it at all like so disability is a part of diversity and needs to be treated in, in that as well yeah completely and yeah. a really large portion of the population have some form of disability um, yeah so it's one in one in five yeah, yeah. yeah. it's massive it's right yeah yeah, yeah. It's so important uh, no, I was no. just going to say because, like, I mean, obviously, that we a lot of employees will think, or employers will think that they don't have people with disabilities working in their organisations, and well, I mean, one in five people, you know, it's it's not just visible; it's invisible as well, yeah. and they might may not disclose because they don't feel comfortable doing so because of the you know because of what's going on. So it's really important to get these things right. Yeah. I so agree. Thank you for sharing with us, Ainsley. It's been so lovely having you on the podcast. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure everyone will have learned so much from you. Thank you. Our key takeaways from listening to Ainsley are that disability inclusion includes starting with the customer of your product or service 
and thinking about how you can meet their needs. People working in call centres and customer service teams need to be trained in these needs. We don't need to know why or what disabilities people have. We just need to know what adjustments need to be made in different environments for people with disabilities to be successful. At the Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion, and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.thecultureministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learnt something, please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find a dog called Diversity. Diversity.